giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Neil McQueen, leading industrial designer with 78 patents to his name, having previously spent 10 years at Dyson, and who is now the head of design at Gemba, the world's first global marketplace for product development. Neil, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here with you today, Chad. Thank you for having me. One distinction I feel like we always need to make, this is one of the things we struggle with at ThoughtBot. People want to put themselves out in the community and say, here's what I do. And people use the word product design. And there's actually a pretty big, you know, some designers are, or product developers are industrial design, physical products, and others are digital. What do you do at Gemba? For me, myself, what I do at Gemba explicitly is far more focused around industrial design or like actual physical products as opposed to interfaces and digital products. Yeah. And as the world's, you know, the self-described first global marketplace for product development, what, what does that actually mean? What it means is that Gemba provides a platform in which anybody with an idea or an aspiration to even have an idea has a single source by which you can tap into all the resources you need to get your product to market. So I think a good metaphor for it would be that it's very easy for myself, yourself, any of the listeners today to become a seller. Like I can set myself up with an eBay or an Amazon account this afternoon and start selling a product. That is, there are very low barriers to doing that. Whereas if you want to become a product creator, that is a very disjointed process. And what you'll see from large companies like my experience at Dyson and other companies is that they have a vertically integrated business. They own each part of that product creation, development, engineering, production, logistics. It's all very integrated. And what we try and do and provide to creators is that single integrated structure by which you can have an idea, work with a designer, develop that in conjunction with a manufacturer, and then very seamlessly move move over into your production and logistics. You know, you mentioned Dyson, and you and you spent ten years there and moved through various design roles. I definitely want to touch on that in a little bit. But what attracted you to Gemba? I think, as with all people who are interested in ideas, whether digital or physical, it's the process of creating something that really attracted me, has attracted to all my roles in the past and certainly to Gemba in as much as what I just described previously is a world first, like it is a category defining company. So I think what really attracted me to Gemba was the fact that what we're doing here is not only building lots of very interesting products and helping entrepreneurs and product creators and businesses, but what we're doing is developing a platform which is entirely unique and one of its kind. Mm. I have to admit, I did a little bit of research on you, as I always do, and I looked at your Twitter, and I saw that a lot of your tweets were, I think, back from 2016, where you yourself designed, well, how would you describe it, a coffee press stand? Exactly, an AeroPress stand. You know, having been through that process and launching it on, on Kickstarter, is that part of what you said, I want to help other Absolutely. people do this? And it's probably a very congregating experience in terms of people who go through crowdfunding campaigns and then try and do it yourself and certainly my experience you know kickstarter is a wonderful platform 
But everything thereafter for me as a creator doing something in my spare time in my evenings outside of my normal nine to five was, you know, incredibly challenging, you know, dealing with factories who had very broken English or really struggled to communicate both my idea and their complications accurately and just how that unfolded into trying to get a product to market without somebody to help and guide me through that process, doing it entirely by yourself. So I think that was certainly a very challenging experience in terms of getting that coffee stand to market. And I think the same is true for lots of first-time creators and even businesses in trying to reduce costs, like up efficiency of getting to market quickly. Like who are the partners and people you can work with and businesses you can partner with to help you know, provide you with those benefits. And that's really what we try and provide at Gemba. And I, I think, as you mentioned at the start, certainly my past experiences make me think that what we're building here today certainly does bring a lot of benefit. I've had quite a few people who on the show who, who launched physical products themselves on Kickstarter or other crowdfunding platforms. And often the conversation turns to how difficult it actually was from a supply chain perspective, from a manufacturing perspective. One of the things that struck me about Gemba is that it, it is not a, a small operation. You know, it has headquarters in the US, but team members live and work all over the world. There, it, the website that says there's 150 plus team members globally. So given that reach, it, it seems like it probably can be really helpful to people solving those challenges. I'm curious sort of who the ideal customers of Gemba are. What What is the profile of someone who works with Gemba? For our ideal client at the moment, I think that's one topic and we can go into that. But what we're really trying to do in terms of the company vision is to democratize the design process and creating a product that gets to market. So as much as for us as a company, you know, having gone through a Series A funding round and heading towards a Series B, you know, yes, we have got a, a fairly focused view of who is our ideal client profile and persona. However, what we're really aiming towards is providing this vertically integrated system of design and marketplace resources to absolutely everybody. That is the vision, the vision that anybody can become a product creator for the first time. In as much as, like my metaphor said earlier, that you can become a seller on eBay, you should be able to have as easy access to the, the resources that enable that product creation. So there's an example I always like to use. It has a, a legs a little bit, which is ThoughtBot is a well-respected design and development company. And there's an opportunity, you know, we're, we're working designers and developers. And as people who, who do this work, we often either buy products and see how they could be improved or have ideas for our own, whether it be notepads or pens or even mechanical keyboards are a really interesting thing. Like if we wanted to pursue something like that, how, how might we do that? In the context of Gemba? Yeah, or, or beyond, but yes. So I think the first thing for anybody with an idea is to really have some very clear goals at the outset in mm -hmm. terms of, and I often, for anybody who is interested in user-centered design, three of the guiding principles for that, you know, are three things I always really lean on with it, which is feasibility, viability, and desirability. So within all of those things, like what are your ambitions for your product in terms of like, 
ideally every product should be desirable like people should want to buy it mm -hmm. have you got the means by which to get it to market and once you've got it there will it provide you enough of a margin to have a sustainable business so the viability of the product and can you actually make it like is it is it you know it's not made out of unobtainium <laughs> whatever it might be <laughs> So I think a very easy starting point for absolutely everybody is to really go via those three guiding principles in terms of the desirability, viability, and feasibility of your idea. Like, Where do you think you, you score on that matrix? And then if you think you really have got something in terms of an idea that really has merit and that you have the wherewithal that you want to see it through to fruition, certainly just picking up the phone and calling Gemba, that's a great second step. Okay, so at Gemba... If someone picks up the phone before going through those three steps and is talking to you, do you help them sort of take a step back and answer those three questions? Absolutely. So I think what we really try and do is not only facilitate your product development journey, we're not a service provider, we're a service facilitator. We want to connect you with all of the resources within our platform and marketplace. And what we really try and steer you towards is what is the product development journey that best suits your needs? And I think typically speaking, if we were to use a broad brush, it falls into three camps, which is, do you want to just, you know, speed to market and the fact you want to sell an idea very quickly. So could you potentially white label your product? So we, we provide these options to people. So there is a white labeling route. There's then a customized route, which is to say, is there something fairly similar already commercially available in the market and that factories provide? And that you could adjust the feature set for your idea by perhaps 10%. That would actually then mean that you could get your idea customized in a factory and into market. So that's the customized route versus then an entirely unique product, which is to say that you need to both develop the design and tooling for the product from the ground up. Intuitively, I would hope, you know, from white labeling all the way through to unique product development, you know, you have a, a fairly matched scale of time and cost. The more involved, the more detailed, the more unique, the more time and the more cost proportionally increases. Mm -hmm. How would you say that designing within a company like Dyson is different than being outside? The thing that working for a company like Dyson and others like it really affords you is the freedom to research without the means of having to like really focus on what is my next launch in a year's time. And what I mean by that is Dyson and other large, you know, successful companies have exclusive product development innovation hubs and idea teams who for every hundred products they develop, potentially only get one through to market uh, and into the global markets. So I think as a designer, what you're really afforded there is the space and creativity to explore lots of ideas without the pressure of, you know, I have to have something out this in this next six month period into the markets. I think that's very different to, say, a, a small to medium-sized enterprise who have a set product line. This may be your only product line. Like, you really need to be laser-focused in what is my incremental product development here so that I can maintain, you know, the attention of the public, as well as then trying to work concurrently on, like, how do I evolve my product line to then broaden out my audience? So I think that's quite different in terms of you have to be very focused. Are you an entrepreneur or startup founder looking to gain confidence in the way forward for your idea? At ThoughtBot, we know you're tight on time and investment, which is why we've created targeted one-hour remote workshops to help you develop a concrete plan 
for your product's next steps. Over four interactive sessions, we work with you on research, product design sprint, critical path, and presentation prep so that you and your team are better equipped with the skills and knowledge for success. Find out how we can help you move the needle at tbot.io slash entrepreneurs. You started at Dyson as a design engineer and you moved through, you know, sort of up into a senior design engineer, then concept lead to design manager of new product innovation. What was the journey from, you know, design engineer to eventually design manager? And what are the differences between those roles? Mm. I think the key thing that changes within those roles is a level of autonomy and responsibility. And I think Mm -hmm. what scales up through each of those rungs is essentially how you can demonstrate a competency for your core responsibility set. So as a design engineer, you're responsible for part level designs. Like here is, you know, you you mentioned the mechanical keyboard earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. In that scenario, you would have a team of potentially four design engineers seeing, you know, that through to fruition. You would have a subset of those parts, which you're exclusively responsible for. So you might just be responsible for designing the best keycaps. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, one, one chap will be just looking at the springs and the tension and how do they feel. Another one will be looking at the structural integrity. Another one will be looking at the ergonomics. So I think you have that individual, the individual part and function. And what then levels up from that is as you go then into an advanced design engineer or a senior engineer is that you begin being responsible for the full assembly. So instead of just having your key cap, you're now responsible for leading the whole team, doing the whole keyboard. And then as you then progress through that, having demonstrated a competency and like reliability of delivering things, you then become a concept lead, which is to say that you have multiple projects on at the same time. You're leading the teams to do that. And then as, again, you progress through that into design management role, you then level that up again in terms of you're you're typically managing portfolios of projects within different market sectors. So I think if that answers your question directly enough, what it really builds on is for anyone aspiring is you really need to focus on the basics first, like making sure that you are fundamentally a good designer and a good engineer who can demonstrate and communicate your logic and your thought process. And I think if you really underpin yourself with those sorts of fundamental competencies, that serves you really well as you move up through the ranks. Mm. Some people I talk with, as they move up through those ranks, they feel like they are getting further and further away from what they actually love to do, which was design products. Is that something that you felt or how did you not feel that? I think as you move up through the management hierarchy. At the same time, typically the people that do that, I find, and who are successful at it, have a fairly focused view of what are their goals, what are they trying to achieve, and what is almost their trademark that they're known for. So for myself, how I've avoided that is you you asked me, you know, why I'm interested in Gemba. And, and that's because what a very instinctively done both at Dyson and here is like make sure that I've positioned myself to solve real problems probably everybody in a senior management position sometimes still misses getting on CAD or coding and just 
you know, having the afternoon with no meetings. I think there's an element yeah. of that that you can't get away from. However, what really enthuses and you know keeps me really engaged and motivated in what I am doing now is to say I'm still solving problems, which is the fundamental heart of everything. So instead of designing the best keyboard, you know, for somebody who has carpal syndrome or like hand problems, what we're now designing and developing is a platform that solves problems for a whole, you know, very broad user base. As long as you are always focused in your role in terms of how can I best serve and provide solutions to problems, I think what people will find is that you're actually always very fulfilled as a creator. Maybe not as a mechanical engineer or electrical engineer, depending on your background, or a coder, but if you're fundamentally interested in solving problems and bringing solutions, you can still hold on to that very tightly. Yeah. As head of design now, what does your day-to-day look like? The majority of it looks like is what I almost just mentioned with regards to how are we both developing and sustaining a business that provides and develops better solutions for our clientele, as well as then dipping in and out of projects which require support and a little bit of extra attention. As I mentioned, as you know, a design manager at Dyson looking across portfolios of projects, what my role now is really around is making sure that all of our category leads, who are people looking after multiple projects, that they all have the support and tools that they need and you know, require, as well as then, as I mentioned, you know, on, in particular cases, giving attention to some design projects that need help. And then road mapping out, like what is the future? What are the next incremental steps of functionality and platform features that we want to develop as a company and facilitate and bring to market for our customers. What are some of those things that you're seeing across the portfolio that are, that are needs that you're hoping to meet? I think a very interesting new thing that we're bringing to market at the moment is what we call design to manufacture as a process. And what we really try and do there is we see in the market at the moment that people have a real sensitivity around cost effectiveness, you know, with the global economies where they're at and supply chain, like how do I, number one, potentially diversify my supply chain? Or number two, how do I actually launch a new product with as little cost to myself as a business as possible? And what we do there is a report, a product opportunity report that profiles you as a business and a brand, and then overlaps that almost in a Venn diagram of where is the sweet spot in terms of available products in the market that you could customize that would really suit your brand and that we could really effectively you know customize and develop with a manufacturer and with a design team uh, and get to market really quick really cheap but is still uniquely your own and has your special touch to it Mm -hmm. obviously a thing that has happened in this market or this industry over the, the last decade or so is crowdfunding and Kickstarter specifically, how have you seen that change things for people? I think what it's meant is people get access to funds in a way that, you know, would have taken a very long time previously. And I think the other thing is people get feedback on ideas quite quickly as well, which, you know, maybe isn't the case across the broad spectrum. But for people who have an idea and want to very quickly test it with the market in terms of does this resonate with, 
my user group that I'm interested in? Like, is this a real set of user problems, which I believe I've solved? Is that actually true? I think what is provided product, you know, industrial designers typically, or any other type of product creator is just very quick access to people with capital who can, you know, invest in seeing their product through to fruition, which otherwise was actually a really hard and arduous task, not only getting feedback, but then trying to raise capital separately. In your opinion, what's the ideal point that something actually goes to crowdfunding? The ideal timing for your crowdfunding campaign is where you have the first iterations of a, a working and demonstrated functional prototype where, you know, it's not just all idea, but that you've actually, you can demonstrate the fact that you're committed to this, that you can demonstrate the functionality of it and show that you've considered how it's going to be made and that's not actually going to change massively. Because I think what you can sometimes see is people can go to Kickstarter prematurely. And then when they're actually getting into the manufacture of the product, there's some fairly large compromises that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that the idea isn't feasible and they can't make it. The ideal time to go to a Kickstarter is where you've really thought through all your user scenarios. You've got a very clear perspective on what the problem set is that you're solving. And that you can then demonstrate that with a working prototype. And that doesn't need to be pretty or you know visually pleasing because you can have your your beautiful render next to your functional prototype i think that's a great time and concrete information on the feasibility of manufacturing it absolutely so i think in part of informing your working prototype i think you need to have early what you'd call dfm like designed for manufacture feedback which is where you've spoken to a manufacturer or a tooling engineer and said like, what are the key considerations I should take into building this assembly? And often is the case for people who perhaps haven't gone down that road very, very far is that there's some fairly significant adjustments you need to make to either the visuals or the functionality of your, of your design, at least having a few uh, initial conversations with those factories very clearly integrated into your product considerations is really, really critical. So I have to ask, is there something that, that you're personally pursuing now and working on? At the moment, not, not via Kickstarter. I think mm-hmm. the thing actually I'm doing in my spare time is a bit of a, a passion project with regards to furniture, I think. Certainly from my perspective, every designer can pay homage to architecture as the mother of all design. You know, you know what more is a in-depth user experience and journey than the spaces we're all sitting in every day. And a big part of that is furniture. So I'm designing an armchair in my spare time. This is a way to, um, (laughs) as you mentioned earlier, with my current role as how it is, just making sure I keep sharp my sketching skills and design skills, even if it's just for myself. What does that look like for you? Is it it sketching on paper now? And and how, how far do you think you'll take it? At the moment, it's just sketching on paper and asking my kids which ones they like, what they dislike. <laughs> and I think, you know, thankfully with the abilities I've developed and some of the resources I have access to, we'll probably build a, a functioning prototype just so I can have a nice, a nice new armchair in, in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Does that mean creating it yourself or what does that look like? Again, I can only speak for myself, yeah. but... Being a creator and having come from my past, as we mentioned at Dyson, like I think my true passion is creation. So keeping my hands very familiar with materials and, you know, 
screwing things together. So I think what that'll look like for me is actually just getting all the, the raw materials myself within the woodwork, the metalwork, and doing all that work myself. I haven't got much of a, a passion yet for upholstery, so I'll probably outsource that part. Mm-hmm. There's something really rewarding in physically making something with your hands, which I, I've never let go of and I think I'll always enjoy. That's great. I want to come back before, as we wrap up to those three sort of pillars that you outlined, which I thought were really great. What does someone do who's really passionate about the idea that they have, but they hit roadblocks on one or more of those pillars? Mm. If somebody wants to start just themselves and you have an idea and you don't want to necessarily engage with a company or service providers yet, I think what you can really do and start with is engaging with groups and doing research yourself. Mm -hmm. So around desirability and feasibility, you know, there is a world of products and reviews out there. There's a lot of resource there. So what I would encourage if somebody's said, you know, let's use your keyboard example again. Yeah. What are the best selling keyboards out there? And is there a silver lining between all of them in terms of what makes them sell so well? Is it their functionality? Is it their design? Is it the ergonomics? So I think people can really do a lot of research around like what develops and constitutes a really desirable product, as well as then in terms of the feasibility, like other things you're putting together, can you find them freely on say a website like Alibaba? Or can you fundamentally make a keyboard out of wood, like at scale? Again, there's a lot of resources online that you can do for yourself. And then around viability in terms of like, what would your margins have to be? Again, I think there's quite a lot you can do there with yourself with regards to what is available on the market today. What are their unique selling points? What are their suggested selling prices? And where do you think you could competitively position yourself. Typically, how I find that works out is a matrix of ideas. And I think people really need to not be precious about the one idea they have, but really be adventurous around like, what are all the ways that I could potentially solve for this problem set? And then just mark it against that matrix of desirability, feasibility, and viability, and see which one is enough of all of those that actually gives you your best shot at success. I think typically you see a lot of creators who are very precious about an idea and actually maybe, you know, again, it's entirely machined out of aluminium. Well, you know, you're really going to struggle to make that at a competitive price. Right. You're not necessarily Apple. (laughs) Exactly. You you haven't got that economy of scale available to you. (laughs) So I think having a very clear goal in terms of where do I think I can position this in the market? Do I think people will like it? And could I make it for that much? Yeah, I think that that's true across the entire spectrum of digital and physical product design and development. Um, We work with a lot of founders who have an idea and compromise problem solving through the many challenges that you face is critical and, and If you're not able to do that, it's very difficult to actually get a product to market in any reasonable time frame or um, financial sustainability. I completely agree. 
Well, I really appreciate you stopping by the show and, and sharing with us, Neil. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. It's been it's been a great conversation, um, and I've really enjoyed it. If folks want to get in touch with you or follow along or learn more about Gemba or anything else, where are all the different places that they can do that? So you can certainly find and connect with me on LinkedIn if anyone would like to follow up with me personally. And if you're really serious about getting a product to market and engaging around that process, you can just look us up at gemba.com. And I can also personally say if you like looking at pretty things uh, for inspiration, uh, Neil's Instagram is also pretty good for that. (laughs) (laughs) You can subscribe to the show and find notes for everything that we just mentioned, along with links and a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.